fantastic to see you here today, and I hope that you have enjoyed your time with us so far. That's the first hope. I hope that you've had a good weekend, yeah, with a wedding and all that kind of stuff, whether you enjoyed that, or FA Cup, maybe, that was more my kind of thing. Um, I hope that you've had a good weekend, that's second hope. And uh, I hope, whether you're at work or at school or at home, I hope that, that the coming week will be really good for you. Three hopes. But none of which I can have any certainty about. You may have had a terrible weekend. You may have a terrible week. I just don't know. They hope that. And we often say we hope for something, but often we use that kind of language in a way that sort of says, I kind of wish. I kind of long for that to happen, but with no certainty at all. We hope for things uncertain. uncertain. You know, like if you're a Manchester United supporter yesterday, you hope that you might get a goal sometime in the second half. It was looking likely, but no, it's uncertain. You might hope for good grades at school, a promotion. You hope, might even hope for love or good health. Good things to hope for, but uncertain things. And therefore, often, our story of hope, the hope in our lives, uh, is, is kind of up and down, isn't it? Sometimes we hope for something and we get it and it's, yeah, this is fantastic. Uh, often, though, we hope for things, we wish for things, we hope, oh, if we only get an A in maths, and we get a B. And it can be a little bit crushing. Foy Vance is uh, one of my... Um, one of my favourite singer-songwriters, he's Irish, you can see that Neil is very excited over there, I'm mentioning Foy Vance, and um, he's a bit of a grumpy, uh, kind of bitter acoustic guitarist, but if you ever get to see him, he tours with Ed Sheeran, he's one of the best friends with Ed Sheeran, and he is amazing, he can like captivate a whole stadium, just him and his voice and guitar, it's brilliant. One of his well-known songs is this, it's called Two Shades of Hope, and it goes like this, if there's one thing that I know, there are two shades of hope. One the enlightening soul, and the other is more like a hangman's rope. And what he's depicting, in a very kind of bitter Irish kind of way, he's depicting two people, poor people, who are hoping for something uncertain in their lives. One gets what they hope for, and the other doesn't. Two shades of hope. Oh, it can be enlightening, yeah, I get what I, what I hope for. Uh, or it can be like a hangman's rope. And the recurring line of the song is, hope deals the hardest blows. Which is true, isn't it? Certainly if, you know, what you hope for is things that are uncertain. Think about, what, what do you hope for? What, what, you know, when you close your eyes, you have a bit of a daydream time. What are the things that kind of come to you? I wish that would be in my life. What do you hope for? And what is that hope founded in? In a sense, what is the story of hope in your lives? Probably for most of us, it's fairly mixed. Sometimes we get the things, sometimes we don't. But I think we all know, I think we've all felt it, haven't we? That crushing sense when you've been hoping for something and it just doesn't come. It deals the hardest blows. I remember my boys sitting me down and saying, there's a great new series of films called Hunger Games, Dad. You know, watch Hunger Games? Oh my goodness, I was like behind the sofa. It was the scariest thing I've ever seen. Why is that a 12? No, what happened there? So there I was, 
Watching Hunger Games is the most barbarically awful thing I think I've ever seen. The basic premise is a bunch of people play a game to the death. They can kill each other in whatever way they want to. And um, uh, the, the scary president man who kind of plays... It's played by Donald Sutherland, one of my favourite actors... Um, he oversees this kind of barbaric game. You know, it's not bloody, it's a 12, it's fine. But, you know, at one point he says, it, it's not despair that is dangerous. It's hope. Why? If all that we hope for is uncertain, if we simply go through life kind of lurching from this uncertain hope to uncertain hope, fighting another inevitable final hardest blow. Oh. Well, that kind of hope is dangerous. And is that you? Is that your story of, of, of hope? It's, it's rather depressing, isn't it? If that is all the hope that you have. But we're here this morning and I want to point you towards uh, examining a different story of hope. And I hope that it will give you some time to just think and examine the ultimate story of hope. And an ultimate story of hope that can be yours. Because in the good news about Jesus, there is a better story of hope open to us all. And the question will be, I guess... As we go through it, do you, do you want this? I mentioned the, the good news about Jesus. The, the, the Bible word is, is gospel. Gospel means uh, good news. And I say that because within the gospel there is the ultimate story of, of hope. And it comes only from that authentic gospel message found within the Bible. It's not some particular view of some church or some church minister. You see, hope according to me, hope founded in me, would be no hope at all. It'd be about as useless as the Hunger Games. Okay? We need to join the ultimate story of hope, which is found only in Jesus. Hopefully you'll see in that short passage uh, printed in a sheet that you've been given. It, you'll see it's from the book of Romans. You can turn there if you'd like to. It's on page 1132 or you can look it on your, passage, on your sheets. Uh, the book of Romans was written by Paul the Apostle, someone who's empowered, equipped by Jesus himself to take this message of good news from Jesus out into the world. And here he is writing to a church he's established in Rome and he's writing back to them to encourage them. Midway through the first century. The church there is facing all sorts of struggles. And you can see that little bit mentioned in verse 3. They're going through suffering. Times are difficult. But in these two verses we have the ultimate story of hope. Christian hope. Founded in and fueled by Jesus. And it's a hope that is robust enough to take even the hardest blows. And to cut the hangman's rope. Hope is central to this passage. But it is central to the Christian faith. But interestingly, did did you notice that the passage begins not with hope? Have a look down at verse 1. You'll see something undergirds Christian hope. And we need to go there first, if you don't mind. Because Christians can have no hope without these principles first. Look with me at verse 1. Therefore, since we've been justified through faith... We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, in the book of Romans, if you've never looked at Romans before, um, the big theme 
is justification. That like like Harry and Meghan would say, you know, the, the wedding is that's been everywhere this week. Even the news presenters are getting slightly bored about who we're going to talk about this again and again and again. The whole way through the week. Well, Romans is relentlessly big topic justification. Paul has spent four chapters explaining what being justified is and why we need it. Now, now let's just go there for a second. Being justified is essentially being right with God or made righteous or righteousified. Now, we don't have the English word of that, but you know, that's why we have the English word of justified. In chapter 3, Paul showed that we cannot be right with a perfect God, a holy God. And we all know that, don't we? We know that we're not perfect. And if God is perfect, we have got a problem. We have no righteousness. We're not right with God in and of ourselves. God is perfect and therefore, if we want to spend an eternity with him in his love, if we want to get to heaven, we've got a problem as we are at the moment. And the problem is we don't have anything to offer him, do we? Oh, I did this nice good thing today. Kind of ignore the rest of my life, please God. We can't do that before an all-knowing, perfect and holy God. We have nothing to offer, to, in a sense, to bridge that gap between his perfection and our imperfection, between his perfect righteousness and our unrighteousness. And if we're honest, come on, let's get really honest here. Often we don't even want God anyway. Oh, we want the good things of God. Football, nice dresses, anything else within this beautiful creation. Oh, we like everything else, but we don't want him. In essence, many make God to be out, that kind of, out to be a kind of a cuddly grandpa figure. You know what I mean? I, I look at my parents now and I think that's like, the, that's like the best job in the whole world, isn't it? Being a grandpa. Like, you give a bit of affection to these little kids and they shower back affection on you. Like it, it, and then as soon as they get grubby or smelly or ill-disciplined, the grandparent immediately goes, well, there you go, There's, take them back, I've just got to go and have a nap or something like that. You know, it's wonderful, isn't it? The best privilege in the world to be a grandpa. But we make God out to be so often that kind of cuddly grandpa figure. You, you get all the blessings and you leave the rest. But God is not the cuddly grandpa of your making. God is holy, perfect and just. And we can never be right with him through who we are not now or not for eternity and that is essentially the early chapters of of romans but paul doesn't leave it there because god is yes holy perfect and just but he is also loving perfectly loving and romans 3 if you want to look at it if you can romans 3 verse 22 explains that because of god's love we can be right with god all of us through faith it's the only way By trusting, believing in Jesus. And then a righteousness, not of our own, is given, counted or credited to us. That is what justification is. Through trusting in Jesus, we can receive the perfect, right life of Jesus. It can be counted as ours. How does that work? Well, that's what the cross is all about. 
When Jesus died on a cross, he takes on himself all the justice that my imperfection, that my unrighteousness deserves. But more than that, we get his perfect righteousness counted to us. I always describe it to my kids. It's just simply a swap. It's so simple. And that is justification. It's a legal term to describe what has gone on essentially in the heavenly courtroom of God. The Christian is justified by God through faith, by just simply trusting in Jesus. And as a result, we can be seen as perfect because our imperfection has been dealt with by Jesus. A friend of mine was once speaking uh, to Japanese Christians. And sometimes when you're translating kind of English words like yeah, justification, so, uh, technical words like that, you, it's difficult to try and how the, how the translation works. By the way, as this illustration goes, you'll realise I know nothing about Japanese. But work with me. Um, so my friend is there speaking. He asked a young uh, Christian, um, look, this term, justification, are you okay about translating that? Uh, is it difficult in Japanese? And the young man explained that within the kind of the characters of the, the Japanese kind of written language, um, the word is one of those ones where there's a character above the line and a character below the line. And the character above the line means lamb. And the character below the line means I myself. And the point is this. Justification is that God has declared as he looks down upon I myself, he looks at one who is covered by the Lamb. All he sees is the perfect Lamb of God. Do you know who that is? It's Jesus. Justification is simply that we can stand right before God through our faith in Jesus. I used to teach kids and say, just if I had never sinned. We can't earn it. We can't do anything to get it. It is a gift of grace. Undeserved. That's why we sung. Amazing grace. Because it is amazing. You see, Christian hope, the ultimate story of certain hope, is founded in the reality of verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, through faith that we can be right with God now and for eternity. And let me tell you, and all the Christians around you will tell you, that changes everything. Now and forever. It changes everything eternally because we can be with God in his love, enjoying him. And that is infinitely more enjoyment than even if you were at the wedding yesterday or that you held the cup up, um, you know, Wembley. Anything that you imagine. To spend eternity in God's love is infinitely greater. Being justified, being right with God also changes everything now. It changes how you view yourself. It changes how you view the world. It changes how you view your work, um, everyday decisions, and even suffering as we see everything. And that is what happens. This, this, this passage, 11 verses, you get verse 1 and it says, since we've been justified through faith... What follows is essentially a ruthlessly logical kind of spelling out of the blessings of that. 
of which the sure and certain hope of the Christian is there. Shall we look at it? We're going to run through it. I mean a run. So let's run. Look at what follows. Firstly, you see on your outlines there, we have peace with God. So they're halfway through verse 1. You see, it says we have peace with God. Now what that actually says is more accurately. It's saying, God is now at peace with you. God is at the centre of this passage, not you or me. If we've been justified... If, if Jesus as the Lamb covers I myself with his perfection, God is now at peace with you and me. If you put your faith in the Jesus. He sees perfection. And nothing that we can do can change his view on that. The Christian has eternal peace with God. The judgment has been declared in that heavenly court. We're justified and therefore, we have eternal peace with God. Look at that. As a result, secondly, follow, follow the logic, we've gained access into his grace. Halfway through verse 2, we've gained access into his grace. This is because we have that now peace with God. Christians now have an, an unconditional relationship with God that cannot be changed. Whether you have a bad week or a good week. That declaration in the heavenly court cannot be changed. Christians, you see, that the actual word there is that we stand in grace, on a platform of grace, you might say. And that is why saying something like, you hear people say, I'm a really good Christian. Or, you know, I've had a really, I'm a really bad Christian because I've had a bad week. Both of those things are wrong. A Christian is a perfect Christian. In the viewpoint of God declared in the heavenly courtroom we are perfect because we have the righteousness of Christ credited to us we stand in grace Christianity you see is about unconditional acceptance and that is unlike any other worldview or religion that you will ever look at it's all about what has been done by Jesus for you, for me it's not about what you can do. As a result, thirdly, we see we boast in the hope of the glory. We've got to the hope bit, okay? We're right. We boast in the hope of the glory of God. You see, as Christians, if, you've, if you're justified by faith in Jesus, we have a certainty about the future. We hope, that is, we hope with a certain hope. We do not wish for this. We do not long for this in a, ooh, I'm not sure... We boast, the word there is rejoice, rejoice or boast, in the hope that is secured by God's glorious work in Christ. Death could not hold Jesus. We sung about that this morning. And if you put your faith in Jesus and you are justified, you have that same sure and certain hope that you will rise to new life as Jesus did. See, the Christian life is a, a life rejoicing in that certain hope that a last breath is actually just the beginning. And it's the ultimate hope. And it changes everything. Christians rejoice now, looking forward to the eternal life that we can enjoy with God. But there's even more rejoicing now. And it's strangely, look how it goes. It, even in suffering, we can rejoice. Follow the logic. Look at verse uh, 3 with me, can you, for a second? Verse 3. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. 
We glory in our suffering that produces hope. Now, how does that work? Because that can seem a bit kind of crazy. Because suffering, you see, produces character. What he's meaning by that is that it's a tested quality in your life. If you've had to go through a hard time, whether that's at school, uh, whether it's at work, whether that's at home, if you really dig in, character. And what does that character do? It's that tested quality of your life. And that character leads to a refreshing of our hope. So we rejoice in hope, in the previous verse, and in the refreshing of our hope as it is refined and tested in and through suffering. Which makes us even more eager for the eternal hope to be fulfilled. But how does the Christian know that this hope will be fulfilled? How do we know this? I mean, this is all like kind of, it's all out there, isn't it? How do we know? That this hope of eternity with God will one day be fulfilled. Look at verse 5. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. As a parent sometimes, you try and motivate your kids. Some of your kids might know this. You know, your parents say, you've got this work to do. If you get that work done, uh, then you'll get this. Or we'll go and do this together. You might have experienced that as you grow up as well. Um, you, you know, you try and motivate. Imagine if I said to my boys, they're kind of getting to GCSE age-ish. You know, imagine I said to them, look, if you do really well, as well as you possibly can, on your, in your GCSEs, your 17th birthday is a little bit after that, I'm going to buy you a brand new car. I'm going to buy you a brand new car on your 17th birthday, if you do really well. If you do as well as you possibly can, and you work really hard, they do well. We're kind of coming up to seventeenth birthday, and sort of looking forward to it. And uh, there we are. Gets the seventeenth birthday. Dad has a new car. And I'm, oh, I was only kidding, but you worked, and I was kidding. It was all right. It was a funny joke, wasn't it? That'd be awful. Do you think when your loved one dies and they see God face to face, that God is just waiting to say, "Oh, only kidding." There's nothing here. Now Paul says, verse 5, the Spirit is given to the Christian to continually confirm that they are God's sons and God's daughters, standing in grace, and that their eternal hope will be fulfilled. God will not stand there and go, oh, what am I kidding? He'll say, come in and enjoy me forever. But again, you're probably thinking there, go, well, that's subjective, isn't it? Spirit in your heart. I mean, anyone can say that. And every Christian will here say that. So you've got, a, you've got an evidential kind of quantitative argument against you already. Because all these bunch of people, and some of them are credible, some of them aren't. You just look around and take your pick. But, you know, <laughs> all of these people here are going, yeah, spirit's in my heart. I know that. But still, you're going subjective. Not totally sure. Can't be certain of that. Paul knows that. He's not stupid. Look at verse 6. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will, someone, will anyone die for the righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 
See, how can the Christian, how can anyone have sure and certain hope? How does a Christian know that God really, really loves them? Well, yes, God gave us his spirit, verse 5, but you're crying out, subjective, can't be sure. Verse 6, he's given us his son as a substitute. The innocent lamb is killed so that the undeserving, me, you, oh, I don't like this word, but I'm going to throw it out there, sinner, because I am and you are. The one who can't meet God's standard. Jesus was slain on a cross so that you and me could have sure and certain hope. It's all secured. The heavenly courtroom has made the judgment. You can see it and you can read it in the history books, not just the Bible, anywhere. See, uh, this is the Christian faith and this is God's love. Look, the logic of this, let me go through it very quickly. What is the fruit of this justification, which we talked about at the beginning? Look at it, the immediate fruit is peace with God. We see that? What's the continuing fruit of justification? That we stand in his grace, that the judgment is made. This is the blessing of being a Christian. What's the ultimate fruit of of justification? It's hope in the glory of God, which will never be taken away, because God in his love has given you his spirit in your heart, And he sent his son so that we will stand in grace now until we meet face to face. Now, a bit of a time out. I know that's a kind of American phrase and they should have, like Man United should have done it about 78 minutes yesterday. At least taken the top three out of the striker. You know, it was terrible. Anyway, um, time out. If you're here and you're going, I'm not a Christian here. uh, And this sounds interesting. Take it from head and hit your heart for a second. Does this appeal? Think of the hopes that you cling to in your life. And are any of them in any way as certain? What is the foundation? What is the fuel for the hopes that you hold on to? Look at it. Since we've been justified through faith in Jesus, it, you know, it's simple, isn't it? It's all we need to do and can do. You trust Jesus with your life now. And you trust Jesus with your death now. And you can be justified right with God. And know a sure and a certain hope in God's love. It doesn't end there. As we close, let me just quickly uh, run through, sprint through, it's the final dash, uh, verses 9 and 10. Look at it. Since we've now been justified by his blood, look at the words, it's going to repeat. How much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? since we've been justified, how much more? And do you see what Paul is saying there? He's saying that if God does the comparatively bigger, greater thing, oh, he'll do the lesser thing. You've got nothing to worry about. If God can reconcile, that is, we were once enemies with God, and he is is perfect and holy. If, If God can reconcile us to him, How much more can he do the comparatively lesser thing and just take us to be with him in heaven? 
you see the logic? If I said to my boys, you know, sorry, it's all about my boys, isn't it? Now they're getting to graduation, okay? We'll move on a few more years. Uh, but they're getting to graduation, and uh, if they graduate from university, you know, I said to them, look, when you do, I'm going to get you, by the way, this is the story, this is one of the illustration things, okay? Um, <coughs> no contractual here. Um, but if, if I said, you know, you get to the end of university, I'm going to buy you one of those massive houses overlooking Wimbledon Common, okay? But at the same time, I, I, what I'll do is I'll buy you a lawnmower, just take after, look after the lawns at the same time. Now, what if I gave my boys a lawnmower tomorrow? Will I give them the massive house? They're probably in their way. I'm not trusting that. You know, you give me a lawnmower, that's just a few quid. Massive house, you know, about millions of pounds. Yeah, no way, I can't trust that. What if I gave my boys the massive house overlooking Wimbledon Common tomorrow? And said, oh, a lawnmower. I don't think they'd even care about lawnmower, would they? They'd be going, no, don't worry about it. I've got a house now. You know, do you see the point? God has done the greater thing. How much more that he can do the lesser and take his children home to heaven? He's reconciled undeserving people. I mean, just look around. Oh, we put on a lovely middle-class veneer, but look at us. How undeserving to be with God for eternity are each of us, me, you. Well, God has done the greater in reconciliation. Christian hope is certain because he can and he will do the lesser and take us home. Verse 11, just to finish. Not only is this so, But we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Christian life is about rejoicing. Rejoicing in the reconciliation that we know in Christ. Verse 2, if you want to flip back there, we rejoice in the ultimate certain hope that we can have in Christ. We even rejoice in and through suffering because it refines us to make us more like Christ. In verse 3, we rejoice, we rejoice. And this, my friends, is the ultimate story of hope. And it's worth rejoicing about. And look at the blessings. If, you, if you're kind of trying to do a bit, a bit of a tick boxing, you're not a Christian, you're kind of going, oh, my life's really good over here, and I'm sure it is. But have you got your death sorted out? Do you really have hope now? Now look at, comparatively, verse 1, by trusting in Jesus, we're justified. Blessing 1, verse 2, we've peace with God. Again, verse 2, through Jesus we have access to God in this case. Verse 6, Christ died for you and me. Christ died. Verse 8, for us. Verse 9, we're justified by Christ's blood. Verse 10, we're reconciled by Christ's death. Verse 11, we rejoice through Jesus. Have you noticed who it's all about? It's all about Jesus. Jesus. These infinite and sure blessings uh, that give us a certain hope. This is the Christian faith and they all depend on Jesus. My question is this, do you know? Do you really know? And do you trust him? And will you put your faith in him? It's so easy, isn't it, to enjoy the blessings of this life, of which so many of us enjoy so many. I'm not resenting that, it's wonderful. We are very privileged, aren't we, many of us? But it's so easy to enjoy those blessings and ignore 
the giver of those blessings. My friends, you are missing out if that is you. And you will live only knowing uncertain hopes. And sometimes they will be fulfilled. But sometimes they will crush you and deal with the hardest of blows. There is a hope, though, that is certain. A hope, a story of hope that echoes around this room in the imperfect and unimpressive lives of the Christians sat here. And it is founded in the man Jesus, who is God's Son. And all you need to do is put your faith and trust in Him. And you can be made right with God, justified. And that and only that will lead you into this ultimate story of hope. Sure and certain, life-changing, joy-giving hope. If you want to know more, and if you dare to examine this man Jesus, who is God's son, with whoever you brought you today, can I encourage you, you've all got one of these in your little packs, do you want to look at that for a second? As I close. This is a booklet that that we've uh, put together and it's simply just uh, five little passages from Mark's Gospel, one of the accounts of Jesus' life. And in there, uh, there's an opportunity, you literally can read through the passage in under two minutes and then there's three questions about each passage. Can I encourage you, if you've come with a friend today, that you take this away and you say... I'd like you to buy me a meal, or a beer, or a drink, and it's on you. And I will read this with you, and they will go, absolutely, name the restaurant. Don't go Michelin star, but you know what I mean. Because there's no greater privilege for your friend than to open up the Bible with you. And and then at the end, you'll just notice, if you flip over to verse 10, uh, page 10, right at the end, It says, if you want to follow Jesus, the better hero, then why not use this prayer to mark the beginning of your Christian life? And it's just a very simple prayer that I've prayed with children and people throughout their lives. And it's just a sorry prayer, acknowledging God, who you are before God, that you're an imperfect person and that you failed him. Thank you, thanking God for Jesus. And then please, please forgive me. And help me to follow Jesus in every area of my life. You've heard that story in Lao and Anna. You can hear it in your friends. Can I say there would be nothing more that your friend today would love than for you to read this with them? I'm going to pray that that is so. Let's pray. Lord God and Heavenly Father, thank you so much for Jesus. And again, I do pray that wherever we are at, whether we sit here today as those who are justified through faith in him, or we're those who are just inquiring, that's okay. But I pray that if that is us, that we would take steps today to ask more questions, that we might even dare to open up this little booklet today and read through some of the passages and look at the questions, and it wouldn't be inappropriate for any of us to pray that prayer today. Lord, if there is someone here today who really understands who they are before you, understands your great love for them in and through Jesus, and who longs for forgiveness for their sin, and who wants to enter your good eternal kingdom, 
Lord, I pray that they would be praying this prayer right now in their own hearts and they'd be welcomed, reconciled to be one of your children. I said in Jesus' name, Amen. Just in speaking about the hope that Christians have, they need us. And that's the